0: Sairam, everyone. Thank you all for having me here this weekend as we get together to talk about how to save money on gas prices. <laughs> so, Sairam, can everyone hear me okay? is this, The microphone's okay? Okay, just let me know because I don't want you to miss any of my jokes. Let me just spend a few moments over my own personal background. My, my goal during this workshop is just to be a pure instrument for Swami to, to speak through, but every instrument has its own particular role. So I'm a physician, so for example, a scalpel does the work of a scalpel and not the work of uh, forceps, for example. And so although we try to be as pure as possible, each instrument has its own particular role. So let me just describe briefly my background so that you'll be understa- understand where I'm coming from. So I was uh, born in, in India, but came to this country when I was about uh, five years old or so and um, did very well in school. Uh, ended up going to Stanford University for undergraduate, which at that time was the, you know, the number one university and so forth. And I did very well there. Um, I had won all these awards and scholarships. I had appearances on CNN as an 18-year-old. I bicycled across the country for charity, you know, did all these amazing things set by the time I was 18, 19, but something was missing. I had done all these things, you know, speakers at conferences on Seva, even though I wasn't in the sci-fold yet at that time, I was still doing a lot of community service and I was invited to speak at all these conferences about that. But despite all these so-called successes, something was missing and I wasn't sure what it was. So one summer, in between my uh, se- my second and third years of college, I was working at a summer camp up in the Sierra Nevada mountains near Lake Tahoe, beautiful place. Um, and. On my days off, I would go backpacking, hiking, and so forth, just to be out in nature. And During that time, I had amazing experiences of being able to communicate with the spirits in nature, um, which I didn't know was possible. I thought maybe I was going crazy. Maybe I should go and see Dr. Gomez. (laughs) (laughs) But it was real. I would walk out. When I was by myself, wild animals would come come up to me and play with me. Um, I would go hiking down the trail, and big swarms of butterflies would come and play around me. And I would begin to see things that weren't physically there, but that I could still communicate with the spirits and so forth And so I began to understand that all this this that I was seeing was part of a much broader world That wasn't apparent to us and is not apparent to most people. I remember then that when I was Gosh up to about five or six years old I, I remembered at that time that I had been seeing these things even as a young child But I had sort of put them out of my mind at that time, when I was four or five, I thought everybody could see this, but then I realized that, you know, maybe no, the, none of the grown-ups around me could see it, and so I sort of just put it aside until it sort of came out again at the age of 19. A year later, actually a few months later, I was in India for a trip and heard about Sai Baba, and then that was it. I came into his fold, and the rest, is, um, rest of my time has been with him. Uh, my grandfather, it turns out, is a highly accomplished yogi Swami says that he's a Jeevan Mukti someone who's liberated while alive and so it was under him that I learned meditation and progressed on the spiritual path Um, he's a very highly realized soul and being his grandson I was able to be very close to him in the sense that I had a lot of time to spend with him even though he had many many of his own disciples who were always trying to be with him so I had a lot of advantages um, growing up in that kind of environment went on to medical school and uh, then subsequent training in in medicine cardiology and so forth and then I landed up at the Cleveland Clinic which again is Swami's uh, blessings and we can talk about that later on when I do these workshops everything that I talk about comes from what I've learned so if I begin to talk about something that I don't have direct experience in I'll tell you um, because I can only teach you what I know directly not so much what I've heard intellectually or understand intellectually so I'll only share what I personally know to be true okay so that's enough introduction. Let's go on with the workshop. So there's going to be an exam at the end of this workshop. Okay, so everybody pay attention. Yeah, you laugh now, but wait till you see the questions. All right, so the first part of this workshop is, what is meditation? I want you to get out of your mind that meditation is those 10, 15, 20 minutes that you spend in the morning struggling to sit still and keep your mind on Swami. That's not meditation. Swami says meditation is merging with God. Meditation is merging With God it is not sitting and trying to be still like this that is gymnastics meditation is merging with God and that's what we're going to talk about today so this whole workshop on meditation is really a workshop on how to merge yourself with God that's what we're going to talk about and so the first answer to the test question when I say what is meditation the answer is exactly see 100% already so let's let's practice this actually Um, let's practice this with omkar. And what we're going to do is we're going to say om the way Swami asks us to do this. Many of us, when we say om, we say O-M. Om... And then we kind of leave off the M. Swami says om is actually four syllables. It's an A, U, M, and then silence. Akara, ukara, makara, silence. That silence is Brahma. So when you say om and I'm not sh- talking about om as in part of a budget or so forth but when you're chanting om kara that say 21 times in the morning or whatever there is a way to pronounce om that is is much more powerful so what we do swami says is that when you start with om you start with the A sound coming from the level of the navel going up the back so it becomes ah and then it goes around to the top of the head and that's the ukara ah and then the m comes down making a circuit at the level of the navel again. When you make that circuit, that completes the energy that allows you to gain much more momentum from what you're doing. So A, U, M, and then silence. And that silence is where you rest in God. The A and the M are equal in duration. So if you say A for one second, uh, and then M for one second, and then pause, as long as you feel comfortable. Swami says that the A sound stands for spiritual success, the U sound, ukara, stands for worldly success, and the M sound, or makara, stands for merging with God. This is the spiritual significance. So A, spiritual success, U, worldly success, M, merging with God. And that's what we're going to do today. So we're going to do this nine times. Let me just chant it once so you get the hang of it, and then we're going to do this nine times together. Okay, let me just show you. OM So notice the difference. It's not just a OM It's different. It's, it's a little bit more powerful. So let's go ahead and practice this. Okay, so everyone sit up straight. Take a deep breath in. We're going to do this nine times. You can use your fingers to count if you need to. And what I want you to focus on is merging with God. Not just the sound of chanting Om, but as you chant each Om, allow your consciousness to merge into him. Simply allow it. Don't force it. Just allow your mind, your whole self, to be absorbed by God. It's an allowing process. Let's go ahead and do that, focusing on merging with God nine times. If I can get harmonium, please. Oh
1: Dr. Sola, I always uh, find that uh, Omkar is far more powerful with this many people at the same time, or at Prashanti especially, when there's thousands of people there. It's, it's just amazing to me the difference uh, of the numbers of, of souls, voices right. together that to do right. that. So that, um, you know, it's, uh, it's a different experience. By yourself
0: than it, is. it is, it is. It's much more powerful when you do it in a group. Now, Let me tell you a, little, a couple of things that Swami has said. So once a couple of students uh, asked Swami, you know, Swami, why do we chant Omkar 21 times? And so, uh, Swami had one of his students get up and says, hey, you talk. So that student got up and he said, Sai Ram," and he started to explain. He said, Swami says that when you do Omkar 21 times, the first five times that you say Omkar are for the five um, senses. Your five senses, sight, vision, hearing, so forth. The second five omkars are for the five senses of action, so speaking, uh, eating, talking, excretion, and so forth. The, second five, the third set of five omkars are for the, the five koshas, or sheaths within the body that make up our physical body on different levels. The last set of five omkars Are for the five elements that make up our physical body and and for all of creation, earth, ether, air, and so forth. And then the last omkar, the 21st omkar, is for the atma. And so this is what Swami teaches. So when we're doing omkar 21 times, this is what we're doing. We're saying om for each element or each specific portion of our total self, that is our total physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual self then Swami mentioned, he says, there's another reason why you do omkar. He says, when you do omkar 21 times, he said, you are creating the Sudarshana Chakra, that is the weapon of the Lord in the form of Vishnu, over your head, and that protects you throughout the day. And so Swami says, when you chant that omkar 21 times, you create this weapon of protection, the shield around yourself that goes with you throughout the entire day. And so there are two reasons then to chant omkar 21 times. And you do, if you do this, I think you'll, you'll see the difference. Let, let's move on then. So we know what meditation is. Meditation is merging with God. Now, I told you earlier that meditation is not just 10 or 15 minutes during the day. Meditation, Swami says, is 24 hours a day. 24 hours a day. Sleeping, eating, working, everything is a form of meditation because we're then merging ourselves into God all that time i liken it to seeing yourself in a pool of water when you are looking at a pool of water your reflection will be clear if the pool is free of disturbance if there are no ripples and the water is clear so muddied water is like having impurities within ourselves anger hatred attachment greed and so forth and the ripples on that pool of water are like all the thoughts the agitations and the disturbances that go through our mind and so meditation is this process of stilling the mind releasing all the impurities that you can see yourself for who you really are which is God. So meditation is merging with God and it's 24 hours a day. Now why then should you all come here uh, from far away or from even places nearby and say and and spend all this time learning about this? Swami, well first of all Swami says it's it's part of the nine-point code of conduct right? The first one is daily meditation and prayer. This is what Swami asks us to do. So there's something in it, but there's much more than that. Let's look at Swami's quote, the second paragraph on your handout, top of page one. For those of you who are reading this or watching this on the video, I will read this for you. Everyone pay attention. Swami says, why do we meditate? Top of page one. He says, spiritual aspirants all over the world, sadhakas, will naturally be engaged in Japam, repetition of the divine name, dhyanam, or meditation. But first, one has to be clear about the purpose of Japam and dhyanam. Without this knowledge, people begin, japam and Dhyanam, believing them to be related to the objective world, capable of satisfying worldly desires and hoping to demonstrate their value by means of sensory gains. This is a grave error. Japam, repetition of the divine name, and Dhyanam meditation are for acquiring one-pointed attention on the Lord, for casting off sensory attachments and for attaining the joy derived from the basis of all sensory objects. The mind should not wander off in all directions indiscriminately like the fly. The fly dwells in the sweet shop, and runs after the rubbish carts. The fly which has such a mind has to be taught to understand the sweetness of the first place, and the impurity of the second place, so that it may not desert the sweet shop and pursue the rubbish cart. When such teaching imparted to the mind, it is called dhyanam." Now let's go on, let's skip this second paragraph and go on to the third paragraph. A new understanding dawns, clear and unruffled. When the heights of meditation are reached, this understanding becomes so strong that one's lower creation is destroyed and burned to ashes. Then only you remains. The entire creation is a delusion of your mind. One alone is Satyam, the truth, the Lord, Satjitananda, Paramatma and Shivoham, the One. So when you reach the heights of meditation, you reach the heights of self-realization. And so the answer to the question, why do we meditate, is for self-realization. Now, what is self-realization? Swami says that self-realization is the awareness that you are the Atma and that there is nothing else other than the Atma at any time or any place. That is self-realization. The knowledge, the awareness that you are God and that there is nothing else other than God at any time or any place. There are two types of of self-realization, Swami says. He says the first type is a temporary type which is actually pretty easy to attain and some of you are thinking oh really well how come I don't have it then but it is the second type is much harder to obtain that's the permanent kind and that relies or depends on you essentially clearing away all the obstacles obstructions and impurities that cloud one's awareness but we meditate for self-realization hopefully we'll attain some of those heights today so the bottom line is meditation is for self-realization now some of you may have heard of other types of meditation that we do sometimes meditations for specific purposes um, some people actually many of my patients I advise to do meditation for stress relief and, and I tell them you know look I could put you on another drug for your blood pressure or you could do meditation yoga and exercise and lower your blood pressure naturally and most of them will choose to avoid the medications and, ch- and choose the path of meditation is actually becoming quite popular among my patients I don't give them all meditation workshops like this what is becoming quite popular so there are those reasons now sometimes as we meditate other things happen and these things are called siddhis or powers and so let me just caution you on this you've all heard this before but it's very real as you do meditation certain things will happen Uh, you'll begin to uh, understand certain things clearly you will um, have greater clarity of mind your problems will be resolved more easily you'll find that you have a lot more attention you're not as tired as you used to be when you face difficulties and stresses in life, you're much calmer, and you're able to handle them with greater ease and joy. The things that used to irritate you no longer do, and you no longer care for judging or criticizing others. In fact, you no longer care for much else except for doing your duty as worship for God. So these are the advantages of meditation. Sometimes these come. These are powers that come that uh, are really just signposts along the way if you want to travel from here to Miami you get on the highway and you drive down and as you go down the highway you will see many exit signs and each of these Siddhis are really just like a sign along the highway they just means that you're progressing along the path does not mean that you are spiritually advanced because some people will get off the exit and stay on that exit the whole time they'll even detour and get stuck never having reached their destination and I've seen many people like that who get stuck on these Siddhis or powers okay so we know What is meditation? Meditation is? And we know why we meditate. We meditate for? Excellent. Question? You leave them. You simply pick them up and you drop them. When you use them for ego concern, if you use them to show off, then you will be destroyed. They will consume you and your ego will overtake you. When you use them as part of Swami's work, then it can be done appropriately. But you have to be very, very, very careful. Um, the times that I've used them, I don't talk about them because that leads to the ego rising up. And spirituality is the last refuge of the ego. So when you start talking about these things, and even I have to be very careful here, if we start talking about these things, then it will generate that old ego and all the things that brought us here and, and brought us into this sort of ego-prison in the first place. So you may want to use them if it's appropriate to do so, but never ever talk about them or discuss them because that will only engender more entrapment for you. portion out of time for uh, in the mornings, for instance, like brahma Murtam time, when it's ideal, things are quiet around you, and it's perfect. But um, how do you transcend that during your um, the other hours of the day when sure. there are distractions around sure. you? So the question and is, meditation is 24-7, but how do you actually handle that when you're do- going about your work? And we're going to talk about that. Actually, that's a perfect segue into the next segment of this workshop, which is how do we meditate? And what we're going to talk about is the properties of meditation. And these are the things that I call the proper time, place, breathing, posture, and so forth. Now, not everything that I talk about is going to be in your um, handouts. And there's a couple of reasons for that. I really want you to be very, to pay a lot of attention to what I'm saying. Not so much the words, because the words are only signpost to a certain thing. So if I talk about Swami, if I talk about Jesus, if I say Atma, Brahma, God it doesn't matter those are simply words that help us to point to a certain thing which is God so don't get hung up on the language that I use it's the energy of what is being conveyed that is very important and so let us talk about these things now let us begin with the proper place where we begin our meditation we're going to start by talking about those 10 to 15 minutes a day that we begin our meditation but we're going to take it much further than that very quickly so Swami says that the proper place for meditation should be quiet It should be free of distractions, which makes sense. I mean, we see that already with the air conditioning unit back there. It's okay to turn off your phones, um, and it's okay to tell your family members that you need time alone, time by yourself just for a little bit, and eventually they'll understand. Maybe they'll think you're a little weird at first, but eventually they'll get used to it. The place should be clean and pleasing, of course, and uh, say, if you have an altar room in your home or a puja room, that's fine. It should be, in general, in the same place every day. Swami says that when we do a certain spiritual activity or any activity actually for that matter that the energy of that activity accumulates in that area so the vibrations accumulate in that area he says it typically after a period of three months is what he says so for example in our, um, in our home where, where I live the altar room, the puja room is very strong and very pleasing because of the energy of our sadhana there that my family and I do in that room if we go to the kitchen, there's kitchen energy. You know, from Upma, and uh, we're from South India, so Idli and Dosa and all those things. So if we go to the bedroom, there's another energy there. If we go to the office, there's an energy there. If I walk into my office at work, the energy of my office is very, very strong because that is my personal energy that I use when I'm working to take care of my patients, and during which time I invoke Swami to come and work through me. So every place has their own energy, and use the same energy again and again When possible, now the proper place, pleasing, quiet, and free from distractions. The proper time. When you we referred this to uh, just a few moments ago. Let's look at the next quote. Bottom of page two. Under the section proper time. So those of you who don't have handouts, listen closely. Swami says, for meditation, the time is important. The time, which is important, is referred to as the Brahma-muhurta. Muhurta is a fixed period of time. Brahma is God. You will have to choose whatever form you like for the purpose of meditation, and during the time interval called the Brahma-muhurta, which is from 3 a.m. to 6 a.m., you will have to meditate on the same form every day. Continue, on, Swami says, train yourself to awaken when the Brahma-muhurta begins, that is to say, at 3 a.m. Now, Swami's here is talking to a group of sadhakas in India, so just keep the context in mind. You may require an alarm clock at first for the job, but soon the urge of meditation will rouse you. Do not take a bath before you sit for meditation, for the ritual of the bath will rouse the senses, and you will be too full of poles in different directions for the process of meditation to succeed. Regularity, sincerity, steadiness, these will reward you with success. So this time, this Brahma Muhurtam, from 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. is the most powerful time for meditation. This is the time that things are quiet, that things are peaceful. Once a devotee asked Swami, Swami, when we come to do Omkar in the mandir at 5 o'clock every day and we sing Subhrabhatam, it's so peaceful, it's so quiet. He says, why is that? And Swami said, well, every morning at 5 a.m., all the devas who live in the hills surrounding Puttaparthi come into the sky for my darshan. And so what you're feeling is their presence above you as they come for my darshan at that time. These are the sacred times of day when the world is quiet, when the thoughts and pressures of of your daily life haven't yet had a chance to pull on you, and this is the time that you can spend with God. Now, look at this next quote, because I think this is very interesting. Swami says, Daily I give you the privilege of merging with the Paramatma, or God, for a length of time in the night, equal to the time you spend contemplating on me during the day. The proof of the merger is that after waking up, the mind does not turn towards worldly matters, but thinks of God and the body feels light without pains. Continuing on, japa, repetition of the divine name, meditation and namasmarana, remembering the divine name of God, done during what Swami calls a Satvika kala, the spiritual time of the day from 4 a.m. to 8 a.m. and from 4 p.m. to 8 p.m. are meant for spiritual progress. I receive it and keep it safely with me as in a recurring deposit account of a bank. Japa, dhyana, namasmarana done during the rest of the day is like the accumulation in a savings bank account. Pressed by the worldly burdens when you pray to me, I release this punya or merit bit by bit to solve your worldly problems. But the earnings from the early morning sadhana are meant for atmatic or spiritual purposes and will be utilized only for that. So it's interesting. So the sadhana that you do during this spiritual time of the day from 4 a.m. to 8 a.m. 4 p.m. to 8 p.m. is your bank account you're generating a direct deposit in a sense and so there is a very important issue about time the time should be regular so if you choose to wake up at 6 a.m. and meditate for half-hour then it should be 6 a.m. pretty much every day now there are times when it's not practical Um, as a cardiologist I'm on call and so uh, sometimes they get called in to see a patient in the middle of the night and so it's not possible for me to wake up at my usual time to continue with my meditation because I have to work the, the following day so there are um, difficulties with that if you travel Swami says or in my case if I'm up working all night Swami says that you should still remember at least the process of meditation remember put remember your times of swami at that particular time of the day So if you're on a jet plane crossing the atlantic ocean on your way to Prashanti And you're not able to meditate at your usual time swami says just remember just recall that particular period at least during that time Now in my in my own uh, daily life I'd get up in the morning some around five o'clock or so sometimes a little bit early sometimes a little bit later And I'll typically do meditation until around 6 o'clock or so. I don't have an alarm clock or anything. I just kind of know. I mean, sometimes it runs later till 6.30. Sometimes it runs a little bit earlier. Uh, And then I'll get up and, you know, because I'm a cardiologist, i got to keep in shape. So then I'll go work out or go run or something like that. And then I'll go to work afterwards. And so that's my routine. My time with Swami is like my appointment time with Swami. That's when I know that I'm going to be with Swami. And Swami expects me. To be there. And let me just share a story with you about that. So, once this happened a couple of years ago, I was uh, at my home. I was living in Atlanta at the time, and my wife and son were in India visiting um, my wife's relatives. And so I was alone. And uh, in my practice, spiritual practice, I typically will take a shower after I do my meditation. Um, for those of you who do puja or your daily worship, it may be more appropriate to shower first and then go on and do your prayers and your meditation. It's, it's really up to you. But in my particular practice, I typically get up brush my teeth, go to the, the altar room, and do my meditation, and then go get ready. For this particular day, one morning, I decided to do the opposite, I got, took my shower first, and so it was a half hour or so had gone by after I'd you know, gotten everything ready. And I was at the bathroom, uh, at the sink, shaving. I had already done this side, I was starting on this side, and in that particular bathroom, the sink uh, was opposite the door. So if you're standing at the sink, the, you have the mirror, and you can see the door open behind you. So I was, I was standing there, I was, I was just shaving, and the door opened behind me, and I turned around and in walked Swami into my bathroom. And Swami says, where are you? I've been waiting for you for the last half hour. And then he closes the door, very considerate of him, he closes the door again and leaves. Now I'm stunned, I'm, I'm I'm happy to have seen him like that and you know, I do get physical darshan from him from time to time I was so happy to see him, but I was also very embarrassed because I kept Swami waiting So what I want to emphasize is that your time with Swami is your personal appointment time with God if if Swami said to you um, Shiv or Rohan or Sudhakar Why don't you come may eh, why don't you come and uh, to the interview room tomorrow at five o'clock in the morning? Uh, bring a notepad uh, and we'll just have, spend some time together. We'll do, do this every day as long as you're here in Prashantan You would come every day. You would be there at 3.30 ready to go, right? So that time that you have with meditate that you spend in meditation, is your personal time with God. It's your appointment time with God. And so don't be late. Make that your time with Him. So you should get up with the feeling that, ah, I'm not going to go be with Swami now. Proper preparation is the next attribute. So... When you get ready for meditation, don't just plunk yourself down. You have to prepare yourself. And that's very, very critical for a successful session of meditation. Preparation is many things. One thing that's very important is diet. So, eating a very sothwick diet. Sothwick diet means a diet that's um, w- what you take in through all of your senses. From a food standpoint, it means food that's healthy, that's nutritious, fresh foods, avoiding canned foods, and, and so forth. But it also means everything that you take in through your senses. So things that are pleasing and things that Swami basically would want you to watch, hear, see, and so forth. You should not be eating preferably for at least one hour before you practice your meditation. So do your meditation on an empty stomach. It's very, very difficult, if not impossible, to meditate after a full meal. All your blood goes to your GI system and you start to feel sleepy and you'll be doing something else instead of meditating. But probably the most important thing that you do for proper preparation is to acknowledge to yourself that I'm now going to be with Swami and this is my time with him. Whatever thoughts, whatever worries, whatever concerns I have, I can deal with after the meditation. And in fact, I know that I'll be able to deal with them with much greater clarity after the meditation because I've had Swami's energy and blessings to help me deal with whatever I need to deal with. So acknowledge yourself that this is your time for meditation. You do have pressing concerns and issues, but you will deal with them properly afterwards. Some people will... uh, do some reading of Swami literature, Sai literature beforehand, which is part of the nine-point code of conduct, regular reading of Sai literature. Some people will do some prayers, and that's okay. Some people will do soham, and we'll talk about the soham meditation a little bit later today. It's very powerful. But don't spend too much time in preparation, because then you're not going to have any time for the actual meditation. So enough to build a mood, so to speak, and to set your aside these other thoughts for later but not so long that you you run out of time. So proper preparation. The next property is proper posture, proper posture. Swami says that the back should be kept straight. And let's look at his quote on page four. This uh, second full paragraph on page four, Swami says, Today, young people do not know how to sit properly while reading or writing. They sit with their backs bent and drooping like 80-year-old people. This causes various ailments and leads to premature old age. While walking or sitting, you should be straight like a rod, keeping the spine erect. While sleeping, you should stretch your back straight and not curl yourself like a coil of wire. There's a physiological reason for this. A very important nadi, or subtle energy channel, called a sushumna nadi, runs through the spinal column from its base in the muladhara chakra, the first chakra that's the base of the spine, to the Sahasrara chakra, the 7th chakra, at the top of the head. If this gets bent, serious results will follow. The importance of Shumna Nadi is known only to those engaged in the practice of Kundalini Yoga. Let's just continue reading. He says, to sit straight is important. Between the ninth and 12th vertebrae is a life force. If the spine is injured at this point, paralysis occurs. If the body is in a straight position, as if it were wound around a straight pole, the life force may rise up through the straight body and give the quality of a tense, intense con- concentration to the mind. Moreover, just as a lightning rod attached to the roof of a building attracts lightning, in like fashion, a perfectly straight body provides a conductor, so to speak, for divine power to enter the temple of your body and give you the strength to accomplish your task and reach your goal. Wow, that's, that's amazing. Such is the power of posture. You have a conduit. Your body is an antenna for divine power. And keeping your spine straight allows that energy to come into you all of you have cell phones I'm sure and when the, you know you have the, the type of cell phones with a little antenna and when it breaks off it doesn't work very well the same thing when our body is drooping we get premature old age Swami says sitting like 80 year old people so keep the back straight now there are a couple of things that you can do to help this um, you can place a small cushion underneath your sit bones uh, a pillow um, anything is fine it doesn't really matter uh, you can you imagine yourself being pulled up from the top of your head, like if, as if a string or a rope were attached to your head, pulling you up. Um, practice this because the muscles in the spine will get stronger over time. But the main thing is to keep your sit bones a little bit higher than your than your feet. Now, if you're sitting in a chair, you don't need to worry about having a cushion and so forth. But you do need to keep your sp- spine straight. So we have to keep our sp- spine straight we have to keep ourselves erect but we have to do so without straining ourselves now this is proper posture i want to talk about the different types of postures that you can use and the point i want to make and this is the next test question is the best posture to sit in for meditation if you're doing a sitting meditation is whatever is most comfortable for you so if you like to sit in the lotus posture then so be it if you like to sit in a chair that's fine but it should be comfortable so the answer to the test question what's the best posture to sit in what is most comfortable except for lying down because then you won't be meditating (laughs) too long in general just keep your hands together if you like you can also put your hands like this which is the most common mudra that's used in this case the thumb symbolizes brahmatma god the index finger symbolizes the jivatma, which is the individual soul that's us together being separated from the three gunas or attributes of creation so that is what this particular hand mudra describes and so when you're doing this you're symbolizing that you've merged yourself your individual self with the divine self without being tainted by the three attributes of creation what does Swami say to do with the tongue very good very good Swami says to keep the tongue at the top of your mouth uh, against the hard palate so the roof of your mouth and with the tip of your mouth resting behind your front two teeth so i guess if you have buck teeth it's a little bit hard but uh, what swami says is just let it rest there gently he says the reason there's two reasons one is because it creates a subtle circuit at this point in the body but more and also importantly it keeps the creation of saliva down so that for many people sometimes you'll have so much saliva that you need to swallow And so having the tongue in that position keeps that from happening or limits that from happening so keep the tongue there the eyes Swami said can be kept half open or half or fully closed and I prefer to keep them fully closed I think most of us will do better that way this is again keep in mind for the sitting meditation for the for doing your daily work it's do your work and uh, and do the meditation we'll talk about that later keep the body Alert yet relaxed and keeping the body relaxed is very important if you're straining to keep your spine straight Then you're not going to be able to meditate properly. So keep your body very relaxed. And We're going to do this in the next session So the next property is breathing proper breathing the mind and the breath are very uh, interrelated Fast breathing leads to a fast mind the faster the breath the faster the thoughts the slower the breath the slower the thoughts slowing down your breathing will slow down your mind and will allow you to go more deeply into meditation so let's look at the quote on top of page five this is swami's words about breathing he says by slowing down the time taken for inhaling and exhaling life can be prolonged the faster the process of respiration the shorter becomes the lifespan there are examples of how this rule operates elephants and men inhale and exhale 12 to 13 times a minute By adhering to this time scale, man can expect to live for 100 years. Snakes and tortoises breathe at the rate of 7 to 8 times per minute. Consequently, their average lifespan extends to 200 to 300 years. Monkeys, cats, and dogs breathe at the rate of 30 to 40 times per minute. Hence, their average life does not extend beyond 12 to 13 years. The rabbit breathes at 40 to 50 times per minute. Its lifespan is barely 5 to 6 years. The faster the rate of respiration, the shorter is the lifespan and vice versa. How is breathing to be regulated? Breathing should be so low, that if soft powder is kept near the nostrils, the powder will not be disturbed. So breathing should be soft, it should be slow, it should not be forced. And we're gonna practice this in a moment. The breath is your direct link to God. Slow down the breath, slow down your breathing and let it be calm. It should be so peaceful and so gentle that if you were to place a candle, near your nose, the flame would not be disturbed. Now please don't actually go and practice this like one of, my, one of our devotees did who ended up burning the hairs on her nose. So don't do this in real life. But it should be that gentle that nothing is disturbed. So the breath can be stopped in very deep stages of meditation. But what I want you to focus on is controlling the breath in a way that is peaceful. Don't force the breath, don't force it. Let it come naturally, but eventually it will slow down. Now the breath is so powerful that it can be a source of energy and, and when we do the Soha meditation we're going to do this. We're, we'll sh- I'll show you how to do this. But you know, you know, there are people in the Himalayas who do this all the time and, and these people they live on, this is how they live. They don't need to eat, they live on, on the breath. So I actually started a, a restaurant for these guys. Um, they don't serve any food there but it has a wonderful atmosphere. So, being curious, uh, you know, being of a scientific mind, I had to go check this place out. I went there, and as I was walking in, I saw these three sadhus walking out, and they had clothespins on their noses. They were fasting. (laughs) So, this is the power of the breath. This is the strength that it can give you. Let me end with just a couple more thoughts, and then we're going to take a break. Proper health is crucial. Now here I am, you know, a cardiologist from the world-famous Cleveland Clinic, and I'm talking about c- proper health, but it is. If you have a cold, if you have a cough, if you have anything, it's very difficult to, to do your sadhana, let alone sit in meditation or do much of anything for that matter. Keeping your health as vital as possible is, is very important. But it's more than just eating the right foods and so forth. What Part of health is, is exercise. And so when I look around the room, I can spot who has very free-flowing lo- energy and who has very stagnant energy? Exercise allows that energy to move through our body in a more natural way. Our bodies are meant to be moved. Our bodies meant to keep flowing, just like water is meant to flow. Our bodies should be the same way. Exercise is part of that. In the old days, it wasn't really necessary to go and get exercise because you exercised everywhere you went. I mean, you walked five miles to visit your friends. You Uh, Walk three miles to get to the train station. You walked so many miles to get here. Everyone walked nowadays We sit in boxes and we drive around every place So we have to make ourselves exercise. We have to get that exercise But it's a part of your health for me It's also a part of my sadhana because it allows my energy to flow much further and much more freely So proper exercise proper health is also a proper diet Living cleanly and we'll talk about this again later getting rid of the six enemies And then finally, let me talk about proper discipline. Let's look at Swami's words. I think no one says it better than him. Swami says, do this concentration. This is the middle of page five, proper discipline. Do this concentration on your reality every day in meditation. Follow the same rigorous routine every day. Time, place, duration, method, pose, all being unchanged then the disturbing factors can be easily humbled and tamed. As Paramahamsa Ramakrishna said, do not dig a few feet in a number of different places and moan that you could not strike water. Dig in one place steadily and with faith. The boring drill goes down into the very underground spring of water. Drill Ram, Ram, Ram continuously, steadily, and you too can get the rewarding result of realization. Let's go on. Discipline is the first is in fact the first step in self-realization. The reason why I have called this the first step during your training is that today, there are a large number of people who cannot put up with difficulties and inconveniences, and yet wish to achieve bigger and more subtle things. This discipline to which you submit yourselves will lead you to happiness and bliss. Swami says that discipline is more important than devotion. What an amazing thing. All of us are so focused on being devoted to Swami very few of us are very are focused on being disciplined for Swami he says the reason why he doesn't call us disciples is because discipleship involves great discipline discipline is more important than devotion that's interesting isn't it? in our centers we have uh, devotional programs we have devotional coordinators and so forth and maybe what we need are discipline coordinators <laughs> discipline is more important than devotion think about it let me just share what I do I'm a cardiologist. I work 10, 12, 13-hour days uh, every day, um, five days a week, and then I'm on call. Uh, I'm at a world-famous institution where I see patients from all over the world who come with very, very severe diseases. And actually, if you look at the statistics, our hospital, the Cleveland Clinic, has the sickest type of patients in any hospital in the U.S. And because we've been ranked number one for the last so many years, people expect a lot out of us, and we expect a lot out of each other. And so our clinical acumen has to be very very high because the patients that we're seeing are often very very sick. Add on top of that the activities of family life of seva with the center and of my own sadhana and you see that time becomes very compressed and so what I find is that I have to be very disciplined in how I spend my time. We'll talk about this a little bit later again but time management is a part of your sadhana. Many of us waste a lot of time on a lot of unnecessary things, and so discipline is the key to wasting away your time. Let's look at that last quote. On top, bottom of page five, Swami says, "If you plead that you have no time to spare for japa and Dhyanam, I will say that it is but laziness that makes you argue so. How can any lower task claim the time that, that is legitimately the right of the one task for which man is born?" So if you say that oh, I have no time for meditation, then I would ask you well look at how else you're sp- how, what else are you doing with your time? How many of us waste time surfing the internet? Checking your email ten times a day Talking on the phone for hours on end reading newspapers magazines watching TV Much more than we need to Right we all do that. We're, we're all guilty of it, including myself and so discipline is part of spending our time so that our time is spent in God. I need to get a feel for where everyone is in their own individual sadhana. Let me just ask a couple of questions. How many of you are already practicing some form of meditation at home on a regular basis? Okay. And how many of you uh, do namas, or repetition of the divine name on a regular basis? Okay. And how many of you do seva, let's say two or three hours of seva once every one to two weeks on a regular basis. Okay, all right. So the rest of you, how do you expect to get moksha like this? Huh? <laughs> practice, practice, practice. You cannot become a concert pianist if you do not practice. You cannot become a great devotee of the Lord if you do not practice. Swami says that the true devotee is one whose, by his very presence or her very presence, inspires others to chant the name of God. That is the type of devotee we must aspire to be. So let us practice. We're gonna spend the rest of this morning practicing what we've just been taught. Now, as you begin your meditation, as you leave here today and go back to your homes and say, I'm going to put into practice what I learned, I want you to keep a couple of thoughts in mind. First of all, when I speak and give these workshops, and speaking to a large audience with very different backgrounds. And so not everything I say will be applicable to each and every person. Take what is appropriate to you and put that into your own particular personal spiritual practice. At the same time, realize that some of the things that are being said are meant to stretch you further, are meant to push you further, to move you further beyond your particular comfort zone so you learn more things and learn to merge yourself into God. Don't simply stay where you are. Move forward and use this as the impetus to move yourself forward. As you begin your meditation process, there's a couple of things I want to, you to remember. First of all, is to keep your, your practice to yourself. Don't go out and, and tell everyone, uh, hey, you know, I'm starting to meditate. You know, because then people will start to say, you are. Well, why are you still so mean then? <laughs> keep it to yourself. Secondly, don't compare yourself to other people. You know, you have a friend who meditates this way and is starting this with you, but don't compare your progress to that person's. Everyone ripens at a different rate. Everyone moves at a different rate. and We all have different backgrounds. This physical body that you see in front of you is only 34, but I have lifetimes of experience. I have been shown many, many lifetimes as a yogi, as a sadhu. There are particular caves. I remember the same cave that I've been in in the Himalayas for several lifetimes doing sadhana there so each of us comes with a particular background and so we have to remember that and do not compare yourself to others do not worry about the results of your sadhana so don't worry if you're progressing or not if you are you will feel more peaceful the, the litmus test for how you're progressing is how peaceful you feel if you do want to worry worry about the discipline needed to do your sadhana. That is what you should be worrying about. Am I getting up on time? Am I doing my progress, my sadhana in the right way? Am I keeping myself disciplined? Am I controlling my senses? Am I speaking lovingly and sweetly to everyone? Am I seeing and greeting each person as if they were Swami himself standing in front of me? That is the worries that you should have. Worry about the discipline to do your sadhana, not about the results of your sadhana. That will come on its own, and everyone will notice because you're more cheerful, more loving, more kind more peaceful you talked earlier you talked earlier about being in a comfort zone and the procedure becomes second nature and you are in a comfort zone how do you elevate it to the next level by stretching the limits how do you how would you define that because there's a certain level of comfort that you achieve when you feel a sense of um, I'm glad you said that, That, that's a wonderful comment. So the question is, we get into certain comfort zones with our sadhana, or with anything that we do, right? We're used to certain things, we get into certain routines. How do we go beyond that? Mm -hmm. Now, what I'm gonna say is a very important comment, and I want you all to take it seriously. I don't want you to take it the wrong way, but but think about what I'm gonna say. Many of us, for many, many years, have kept our sadhana as a very intellectual process. We go to speaker after speaker. We go to retreat after retreat. We read books after books. We could do PhDs in all the learning that we've done. But yet we really integrate very little of what we hear because we are simply intellectualizing what we are hearing. And so we really miss so much. If you were to take simply one discourse from Swami, that would be all that you need. If you were to go to simply one retreat, that would be all that you need. So we stay within these comfort zones, and we miss so much. We intellectualize very much most of what we hear, and we miss the opportunity. What I want you to do today, and this is why I'm emphasizing practice, is to take what we are learning beyond just the whole intellectual thing of, okay, got to sit up straight, relax the body, do this, do that, so forth, and really take this into your heart. Feel this process. That's why I say when you, when you bring the jyoti into it, don't just visualize it, feel it. Make it a heart-centered practice, not a intellectual, mind-centered practice, which is very limited. Make it a heart-centered practice where you really feel this, where you really integrate what you're learning. Swami says that when we uh, do our sadhana, there is a period of digestion. So we learn certain processes, we learn certain things, and then we digest them. And that's, what we are, that's how we should do this. Take what you learn, digest it, think over it, practice it, think over it some more, feel it, but practice it, and then learn from that. That's a great segue into the last and final part of this morning session, which we talk about how to, break through, how to deal with thoughts that break through even these three techniques. The feeling Swami standing saying in front of you, extreme desire for Swami and feeling Swami meditating through you sometimes thoughts will come and that's okay and so what do you do with those sort of breakthrough thoughts or breakthrough experiences the feeling of wow light is all around me or this pressure sensation here or whatever first is to let them come and let them go simply witness them but don't be attached to them don't hang on to them many of us i'm sure this happens to you because it happens to me you know we have these thoughts we're we're doing whatever and then we have a bad thought that comes, right? You know, we would call when why did I think that thought, right? This happens to everybody, every one of us. That is part of the environment that we live in, whether it's because of the food that we've eaten, or some conversation that we've been in, or even the room that we've been in. Um, it's just part of life. What makes a difference is whether you hang on to that bad thought, or to that not good thought, like Swami says, or let it go so when thoughts come when experiences come simply let them come and let them go don't hang on to them let them go don't be attached to this when you become attached when you judge them when you criticize them say, why did I have that kind of thought then you're giving energy to them and making them more powerful let the thoughts come and let them go just as easily as they came don't hang on to them another technique is to feel these or see these experiences or thoughts as God itself everything is God why not our thoughts also see those thoughts also as god see them as no different so when we do the jyoti meditation we try to see everything as light our thoughts then also become forms of forms of light if you could see what i see in deep meditation you would see that all these thoughts that we're having are thought forms they have a form to them that is a form of light and they actually go off and so and they form Energy patterns that actually can take in some sense physical forms. These thoughts are very very powerful So see these thoughts also as God Sometimes you can see them as a test from God you're doing your meditation you're seeing Swami's form before you You're so in love with that form and suddenly a thought comes about the dry cleaning you have to pick up on your way home from work See that thought also as God See it as a test from God saying ah Swami trying to tease me trying to catch me See him as testing you in that sense. Sometimes you'll have a really important issue. You've got a big meeting at work. Um, I may have a very sick patient in the hospital. Uh, your family member may be ill or have some other very important issue that's concerning you. And it, it is important. You don't want to uh, underemphasize it. But rem- remind yourself that you can deal with that after your meditation. And after your meditation, you'll be able to deal with it with much greater clarity and effectiveness Sometimes no matter what thoughts just come and pester you and you can do what? Phyllis crystal taught me once which is called a blackboard technique So you imagine that thought being plastered onto a blackboard and you just take an eraser and you wipe it off Just wipe it away. It's very effective And finally sometimes no matter what you do thoughts will come and come and come and you're not going to be able to meditate And so let it go then just stop your meditation and then continue on at a later time that is get up from your sitting meditation and go on with your day and then practice your moving meditation throughout the rest of the day whether you're doing soham whether you're doing namasmarana, whatever it is just practice that throughout the day okay so let's wrap up so we know what meditation is meditation is we know why we meditate right? and meditation is for how long twenty four hours a day we talked about the properties of meditation, we talked about the proper place, something that is pleasing, calm, clean, that we can meditate appropriately. This place is very important. Let me just share a brief story with you that Swami told his students once. So once the students were on their way from Kodekanal, uh, I don't remember if they were on their way, I think they are going to Kodekanal, and they are going to have a picnic along the way. They were leaving from Vrindavan, from Whitefield near Bangalore, and they are going there by bus and so there are two buses and Swami was in one bus with some students the rest of the students in the cars were going along and so he asked the students to pick out a spot for a picnic and they said let's stop here so uh, the first bus stopped with Swami in it or the first bus stopped with the students in it Swami was in the second bus and they all got out and they started to get everything ready a few moments later Swami's bus came there and Swami got down he says no 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 not this place let's go on to a different place so they all got back in the car and the buses and they went on some more distance. And again they stopped and there they had their picnic. Swami said that place where you had picked the first time was a place where some uh, bandits, thieves had performed some robbery. And so I didn't want you to be in that place. Swami says that not only do you had bad company, but you have had bad places. And he told the story of how in the time of Rama's, uh, the Ramayana, Rama, Sita, and Lakshmana were going through the forest. And at that time, Lakshmana would go first, Sita would be in the middle, and Rama would be behind. And as they were going through the forest, Lakshmana began thinking, why did I come here? Why did I leave my palace behind? I'm living all this in this forest, in this jungle, eating all these, these, these fruits and tubers. Why am I like this? He started thinking like that. And after a few moments, they went on, and suddenly he was... Terrified he just realized what he thought and he fell at Rama's feet and begged forgiveness crying Rama. Please forgive me. Please forgive me Rama just like Swami pretends not to know anything and he says what Lakshmana. What's the matter with you? Why are you behaving like this and Lakshmana said you know that he'd had these terrible thoughts and he was begging forgiveness He didn't know why he would think those things, but he that's not that wasn't him and he didn't want to have those thoughts So Rama said Lakshmana. It's not your fault That place that we passed through was a place where a terrible rakshasi a demoness had performed many cruel and wicked acts, and so the energy of that place had affected you, and that's why you had those thoughts. So think about it. If even Lakshmana, who is Adi Sesha, the form that God rests upon, can be affected by the power of place, what about us? So proper place is very important. We talked about proper time. We talked about 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. being the best time. If that time is not appropriate for you because of your lifestyle, your work routine, then sunrise and sunset are the next best time. If that is still not possible, then the time that is most comfortable for you would be best. So, for example, if you're a mother staying at home and you have children that you have to get to school, perhaps after your children are off and you're alone at home might work out better for you. If you're working late, or if if you go to work early in the day and you come home late, maybe in the evening before you go to sleep might be the best time for you. But it should be consistent from time to time. We talked about proper breathing and using abdominal breathing to inhale divine energy inhaling and exhaling we talked about the proper discipline talking that discipline is more important than devotion and we talked about proper health and the role of exercise in our sadhana many of us have stagnant energies and exercise is important for us to keep those energies flowing we then went over the jyoti meditation, the soham meditation using these as meditations that you can do at any time the nice thing about soham, as you inhale and exhale is that you can do that even for nama smarana So let's say you like to say Sairam, for example. You can inhale, "sai," pause in that silence which is God, and exhale, Ram, in whatever tone you wish. That is the power of the breath. We talked about ways to improve our concentration, and let me ask you, what were those ways? The three techniques that we mentioned. Seeing Swami stand in front of you. Extreme desire for Swami. And Swami meditating through you what wonderful techniques these are if you think about what we've learned we've just gone over Raja yoga ashtanga yoga the eight-step path of yoga that is described yama and niyama Which is the path of morality the do's and don'ts? Asana which is the proper posture and the mo- and the best posture is What is it whatever is most comfortable except for lying down? We talked about pranayama or Breathing. Now we didn't talk about alternate nostril breathing and so forth. That's another topic, but we talked about the power of the breath. And then we talked about one-pointedness through these techniques. Concentration through the techniques that we shared. Finally, meditation, which is the whole purpose of what we're doing, and eventually Samadhi, which is an indescribable state of oneness with God. What I want you to do as you go through the, the time that we have is to think about what we've learned today. Think about how you can incorporate this into your life, and how you can bring all these techniques into your everyday life, every moment—walking, breathing, working, talking, living, and loving. Let's go ahead and end with Om and three Shantis. Om Shanti. 자 <목소리도>